welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 23 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 15th of November, 2009, entitled, The Fundamentals, His Visible Return, Part 8, and the Barber reading is taken from Revelation, chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Hey, Revelation chapter 20, begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 6. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, again beginning in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Father, we thank you again this morning just for the wonderful privilege and opportunity that we have to be in your house gathered together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and all those that you have sent this way today. And Father, we trust and pray that you have been pleased and glorified and honored by Lord, everything that's taken place so far in the singing of the songs and the prayers that have been prayed. Father, now as we turn to this most important part of looking into your word, Lord, we realize so fully and completely that without you, this time will be useless. We'll gain absolutely nothing from it. Father, we pray for the touch of thy spirit, for the anointing from on high that only you can give. Not that this man or any other preacher would be glorified, but that Jesus Christ himself may be magnified and lifted high in this place, that you might receive all the glory and all the honor. Lord, that we could hear from heaven. You know the hearts of each and every individual here, and you know the needs. I pray that by thy power and by thy might, Lord, that you would speak to each and every heart, that we would have the courage and the strength that it takes to be able to respond in whatever way is necessary. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You have your charts that we've been using in our uh, studies of... uh, Um, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't bother to put the Revelation chart up on the board because we're going to be in one place and one place alone on there today. That's that little gold section right there that's uh, in number six in the dooms column going across. uh, And uh, it says the millennium, 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. And that's what uh, we have been looking at here in these first six verses of chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. But if you've got your timeline with you, a number of the things that we'll be looking at 
you will be able to follow and see on here uh, exactly where that uh, uh, we see this taking place on God's timetable of these end time matters that we are discussing. Now, we've said that our focus today would be on the reign with the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ with his church on this earth. We, if you were here last Sunday morning, we finished last Sunday morning with, uh, on your time chart there, the end of the seven-year tribulation, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. And we looked briefly and looked over those things of his returning with his saints to this earth. And of course, when he comes back, we find that the next thing that you see there is this, this green area that runs across your chart there, which says the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Now, when we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ reigning, what are we talking about? Well, I think very simply in its most simple terms, when you're speaking of, of reigning, whether it be with God or upon this earth, that we could define that reigning is to have a sovereign authority and power over a kingdom or a domain that is made up of those subjects who are subject to that rule. In other words, you've got to have the rule, the authority. You've got to have some place for it to be administered to and somebody to administer it upon. Now, we've already looked in our studies of contending for the faith, and particularly as we've been looking at the fundamentals, and of course, as we have been for uh, a good number of weeks now, I think this is the 12th in the series on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, uh, and of course, uh, probably about half of those has been on his visible return to this earth. And it's very important. Uh, and if we, as we've already looked at the fundamental truth of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that he is God, just as uh, Brother Steve was sharing in his testimony and dealing with uh, uh, this, this, this Muslim on the streets yesterday, of course, there are many that have real problems with, with associating Jesus Christ as being God incarnate. And of course, we've already covered that. But I want you to keep that thought in mind this morning. If Jesus Christ truly is God and he is completely God, then we recognize that the truth also of his eternality, which we looked at, that Jesus Christ did not begin when he was born in the manger in Bethlehem, uh, that was just when he took on flesh and came into this world. But the Word of God teaches us that Jesus Christ has existed from eternity past to eternity future. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so if that's the case, if the Lord Jesus Christ is God, and if he has existed for all of eternity, then I want to say to you that much of the confusion that comes about today about the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth comes about because that these things are not taken. I want us to look at three aspects of the reigning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully in looking at this, we can clearly understand why that I would say absolutely without any hesitation this morning, that when we are talking about a 1,000-year millennial reign upon this earth, that we are talking about 
the visible return of our Lord Jesus Christ to this earth and he personally himself sitting upon the throne and ruling and reigning on this earth for 1,000 years. Now, I want us to notice three things. First of all, I want us to keep in mind his eternal reign. You see, as an eternal member of the Godhead, any scripture reference concerning the rule and reign of God is a direct reference to the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ himself. Well, there are many, many scriptures that we could not even begin to follow through all of them this morning. But there are many scriptures that speak specifically of his eternal reign over all of creation that remember it was he himself that created it and brought it into existence in the first place. It was he himself that keeps it there, that sustains it. It cannot exist without him. A very familiar passage in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He says, all things were made by him, and without him, not anything made that was made. Not anything. If it wasn't made by Jesus Christ, the living word that became flesh, that came incarnate into this world, if it wasn't made by him, then it simply does not exist. We have an absolute multitude of scriptures that declare the eternal reign of God and therefore the eternal reign of the Lord Jesus Christ over all of creation that he himself created. Now these are found throughout the Old and the New Testament. But I want to give you just a few this morning. And if you want to try to follow along, I'm going to I'm just going to give you a few out of the Psalms themselves, and we're not even going to, to bother with all of the other books of the Bible, which many of them have very similar passages. But turn, first of all, to Psalm 10 and verse 16. Psalm 10, verse 16 says, The Lord is king forever. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his hand. Anybody need to go back to the Hebrew to understand what forever and ever means? The Lord, the Bible says, is king forever and ever. Turn over just a, a few pages to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, beginning in verse 1, says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. 
Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, and ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Just a few pages over in Psalm 29, and notice that in verse 10 it says, The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth King forever. In Psalm 47, Psalm 47 beginning in verse 1, he says, O clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob whom he loved. See, law. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. In Psalm 83, Psalm 83 and verse 18, the Word of God says that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. In Psalm 93, Psalm 93 verses 1 through 5, the Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. Wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Just a few pages over in Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. And then one final passage in Psalm 145. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 11. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, 
and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. You see, this is just a sample. The Word of God is full of passages that teach us that He reigns over all, that He always has, and that He always will. This is what we speak of when we speak of His eternal reign. The fact of the eternal reign of the Lord Jesus Christ over all of creation is an unquestionable truth that we acknowledge and we accept and we thank God for. But folks, not as some would have us to believe. I do not, with all due respect to them, I do not see that that is the reign that is being talked about clearly in Scripture that we have read this morning when it speaks of the 1,000-year reign upon this earth. It's not talking about the eternal reign of God that is His natural reign because He created everything that exists and nothing in this world exists, whether it be your life or anything around us, unless He allows it to exist and keeps it there. Yes, He is an everlasting reigning God. But let us not spiritualize away the truths of Revelation chapter 20 and other places that speaks of his thousand-year reign upon the earth because I believe that we can see from Scripture that is not the reign that is being spoken of there. But I think to understand you not only must keep in mind the right perspective of his eternal reign, but also what I'm simply calling his essential reign. You see, this is another aspect of Christ's reign that we must acknowledge for the believer that has accepted the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that has placed their faith and trust in Christ and His finished work. To those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their King, they have willingly made themselves subject to his will, to his commands, because they have become part of his spiritual kingdom. The sinner rebels. He rebels against Christ or anyone else usually having rule over his life. He wants to have his own say. He wants to do his own thing in the flesh. He wants to do that which pleases him, that which feels good to him, that which brings joy to his flesh. But for the child of God, there is something bad wrong when we begin to fulfill those desires of the flesh over the desires of our God. 
we find that as the sinner rebels, just the opposite for the true, consecrated, dedicated child of God, the Christian, the true believer, he makes himself subject unto God, unto his word, unto his commands, unto his will. The greatest desire of his life is what does God desire of my life? So many times the flesh wants to place such emphasis upon building their little kingdoms here upon this earth, about somehow proving just how much of, a, of an individual that we are, of proving what we can accomplish with our little lives here. When all along God is wanting to do much greater things with us, things that are beyond our capability, things that are beyond our even being able to, to comprehend and understand and imagine sometimes. But things that only God can do. When we truly have submitted ourselves to Him, have made ourselves His subject, have given Him absolute, complete control of our lives and what He wants to do with those lives. You see, we're told in God's Word that we must, folks, I'm underlining, boldface, capitalized it, that we must confess Jesus as Lord in order to become a Christian. There is some theology about today that would have you believe that somehow you can just accept Jesus as your Savior. Pay your fire insurance premium. <laughs> Somehow have this protection to keep you out of hell one day because he died on the cross for you. But at the same time, not confess and accept him as Jesus Christ, the Lord, God himself dying upon that cross. The only way that he could pay the penalty for your sin is because he was sinless. He was the only one that could fulfill the demands of God's law. We find that People can say what they wish. But I believe the Word of God is clear on this matter. In that very familiar passage in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, who? The Lord Jesus. Not just my Savior. Not just Jesus as a man. Not just Jesus as a good teacher. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, we do have to accept the gospel. He did die upon the cross and shed his blood. He did raise the third day when they went back and they found that empty tomb. And there is no other way of salvation. But the problem is today, he's not just a good teacher that died on that cross. He's not even a great prophet that died upon that cross. He's not even just the Son of God that died on that cross. It was God incarnate in the flesh, the one that is so holy that cannot even entertain the thought of sin that was willing to become sin for you so that you could live. Sin can only bring death. Sin entered in, and with it, death. That's the way it got here. We wouldn't have death. We wouldn't have the thorns and the thistles and the weeds and all those things to pull. 
that seeing it ever entered in. And mark it down, friend. People say, oh, how can a loving God? You've heard me tell you before. It's the only way God can love. You don't begin to comprehend how horrible sin is. You see, if God broke the rule just for you, and he let you in, because your sin wasn't that bad. It was just it was just a little white lie that brought good in the end. You didn't really steal it, you just borrowed it and forgot to take it back. You had a real need. You were hungry, you had no food. So you just kind of lifted it off the shelf. Or you can go through with all the reasoning. If God let you, with all your rationale, the smallest sin that's never been put under the blood, heaven would no longer exist. Heaven would become just like this earth. All the, all the sickness, all the death, all the mayhem, all that you see around you that's there as a lack of God at this time because if sin entered in, that's all that it could bring. You see, though all of mankind is under the eternal reign of God, as the sovereign creator of all that is. But because of sin, and man rebelling against that authority, as a result of sin and man's rebellion, Satan has established his kingdom right here on earth. Even though we know that it's temporary, and even though we know that even his kingdom is subject to the sovereignty of God in the end, he cannot go any further then God allows. And we know that his kingdom will ultimately fall and all that are part of it. It must fall. It must come to an end. This world, this world that we live in, it can never be any better. We can never be rid of the sickness. We can never be rid of the sin until the kingdom of Satan falls and is destroyed forever. Mark that down. We can never know paradise this earth can never be what God designed it to be in the beginning when he created it. And everything, oh, was good before sin entered in. Jesus makes it clear that he himself has brought the kingdom of God unto man. And as a result of that, every human being must make himself subject unto one of these two kingdoms. Mark it down. You today are either subject to the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. Every one of us that are here and every human being that is out there on the face of this. Turn with me into the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 22, and I'm going to read down through verse 30. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. 
Beelzebub was a Philistine deity. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I be if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Why? Because I've come unto you. If I'm doing this as God, if I'm casting these devils out because of God's power, not Satan's, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. How? Through me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Jesus makes it clear. There's two kingdoms. There's his and there's Satan's. We belong. And he says, if you're not with him, you're against him. If you're not building up his side, you're scattering apart. You're, you're doing harm. You see, we find in Scripture, I mean, we find even as we, as we look into the early books of Revelation, we see that church of Laodicea, they're, they're lukewarm. They're just putting on a show. They're making a whole lot of claims. They're saying a whole lot of things. They know the talk. They've heard it all. They've read it all. But they're not walking the walk. He says if you're lukewarm that he would spew you out of his mouth. Literally there, you make him vomit. It makes him sick to his stomach. You know, he even told, you know, when we, we look back into the Old Testament, we find that so many times we quote that passage when a choice has to be made. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But you know what? The choice had to be made. Each and every one of us, we are going to serve one of two masters. Now here in the book of Matthew, if you were to read on, and I do not have time, my time is gone in Matthew chapter 13, the very next chapter, Jesus uses parables here to teach of seven different mysteries concerning the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's just got to warning them against the kingdom of Satan. Then he goes to great detail that they can understand what the kingdom of heaven is all about and also how it would progress and grow here on this earth amongst his creation. Matthew chapter 21, we see Jesus offering himself as king to the nation of Israel. And of course, because of their rejection of him, listen carefully, 
the kingdom of God was taken from them. You see, somehow men have this idea sometimes that I can, I can deal with God on my terms when I'm ready for this, when, when it's good for me, when I've got all this other stuff out of my way, then I'll deal with it. Folks, you don't deal with God on your terms. He's God. We deal with God on his terms or we don't deal with him at all. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, this is what he said. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Because they weren't willing to do anything with it. He said, I'm going to take it and I'm going to place it where it can grow, where the fruit can come forth for what it's for. These scriptures and so many others make it explicitly clear that there is a spiritual kingdom in which we, through the Lord Jesus Christ, can become part of it. This kingdom is being built right now, and God gives you a choice to become part of his eternal kingdom through Jesus Christ and become subject to his rule and his authority in your life, or you can remain part of Satan's kingdom and face the fall, the eternal doom that will surely come. There is nowhere else to go. That is the only two places. We are resident in one of two of those. You see, that's why I use the word essential. <laughs> It is essential, first of all, for every human being. If they're to have any hope, any hope whatsoever for the future, that they enter into God's kingdom through the one and only door of access, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. It is also essential for Christ to rule and reign in our lives today as believers, as Christians, those that have put their faith and trust in Christ, it is not just a matter of choice or something good. It is essential that he rule in our lives. We are his subjects. And even though he is not physically present with us right now, spiritually, we're already part of his kingdom. We have already, as Christians, acknowledged him as our king. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. I'll give you this in closing, and we'll come back this evening. We'll look at his third reign, his earthly reign. But in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, the word of God says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's the only way to get into his kingdom. It's the only way through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. It's hard for us to comprehend that we can't do it ourselves. We can't do enough things. We can't say enough prayers. We can't accomplish enough. We can't go to church enough. We can't do anything enough to get into his kingdom.
We can only be translated there through Jesus Christ, His shed blood, by admitting, you know, you're not any different than anybody else. Every one of us must come to the point of humbly admitting, I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner. You know, sometimes we expect sinners to somehow act like Christians. Sinners are going to act like sinners. That's what they're supposed to act like. That's what comes natural for them. Sometimes some of them start trying to act like Christians to, to, to try to get something changed in their life or to get on the right side of God, but that doesn't usually last long. It might go on for a spell, but then it just kind of fizzles out. The truth is, there's only one way to become part of His, and it is essential. You see, there is the eternal reign of God over all of creation. That's not what the thousand-year millennial reign is about. And there is the essential reign of Jesus Christ now, currently, in the heart of every believer that has already made themselves subject to Him and acknowledged Him as their King. That's essential. That's His essential reign. But that's not what the thousand-year reign is all about either. We find that his earthly reign that we're going to look closer at in Revelation here this evening. May I just say to you, as we have seen so many different aspects of over these last few weeks, he is coming again. He is, folks. And, and you know, if you've got some better explanation for all that is out there, and the way this world consists and all that's there, if you've got some other idea of how anybody could love you more and show their love for you more than what God has done and made possible for you to have life, He doesn't want you to die. Yes, there's a place called hell. And yes, it was prepared for the devil and his angels. But don't point your finger at God and blame Him for sending you there if you're the one that's choosing to stay part of Satan's kingdom right now because His kingdom must fall. It must be destroyed. And if that's where you want to be, that's your choice. God doesn't want you there. It's not His will that any should perish. He wants you to admit your sinfulness and recognize you can't do anything about it. And you never will. You must rely totally and completely upon Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your eternal reign. We thank you for the confidence that we can have in knowing, Lord, that you are in control and ultimately you will bring your will to pass in your time, in your way. And Father, we thank you for your essential reign in our lives as believers. Now, Father, that's a reign that is essential for anyone that has any hope for the future. We pray that here this morning, that there are those that no matter what they may have thought and no matter what they may have even fooled themselves into, well, there's something wrong if that change has never taken place. If there are those here that have never genuinely been born again, made afresh, made new, then I pray that you would speak to their hearts and that this could be the day not that they suddenly become perfect, but they're created into a new person that is subject to you and commits their lives to you and trusts you to do with their lives that which they can never do themselves. And Father, for the Christians here this morning,
May you speak to their hearts. May we each and every one be reminded of the essentialness. Lord, of not giving in to our flesh and the world around us, but letting you rule and reign in your life. If we are children, we've already had to confess that you are Lord. We've already had to acknowledge you as our King. And now, Lord, may we live our lives accordingly. We make ourselves subject to your rule and live our lives as you would have them be lived. May you receive all the glory and all the honor for it. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.